0: Welcome back to part two of this Viewpoints podcast, all about the metaverse. In part one, we attempted to define what it is and lifted the lid on some of the metaverse use cases. In this part, we'll explore the enormous potential and opportunities from the metaverse in the future. I'd like to start by asking how the metaverse is going to get adopted. Every wave of technology has had early adopters, and you could argue that adults were the early adopters of PCs. With a younger cohort driving the early adoption of smartphones. So how do you see different generations embracing the metaverse? Remy, you can kick us off, followed by Matt.
1: Yeah, I really love this one. And I, I tell you what, because, you know, I got this question very early, you know, and, uh, is the metaverse a demographic thing? Uh, and the answer that came up was certainly it is. Because if you try to map the different metaverse-related activities, from you know, whoever you want to name here as a company, whether it's in gaming, playing, social, or, or, or work, you quickly find out that the personalities for this leading player are very, very different. Um, and the more, actually, I've been looking at, looking at their definition of the metaverse, their targeting experience, uh, and the more diversity I found, till I finally found a way to map this metaverse trend into one slide, You know, and it's evolution over the next 10 years. So one slide, evolution over 10 years. And the only way to get there, I mean, the answer was, yeah, look at the demographic. Yeah, everyone will have an experience in the metaverse. There will be no one left behind, but clearly not in the same way. So pick, for instance, the seniors. There are many use cases, actually, for them, which are around, you know, social health or wellness related. You know, you can think about, you know, you can do brain stimulation. So you, from the metaverse and the digital experience you've been storing, you can, you know, stimulate the brain from these people, or you can make them, you know, have virtual travel because they cannot, you know, travel anymore, for instance, or you can have some experience around assisted living. Anyway, so this is very unlikely that they would want, or actually even could, wear a virtual reality headset during few hours per day. So. Uh, You need a much more simple and attainable technology and more natural interface i would say to enable them to live some metaverse experience and well what what about audio you know and ambient computing so it could be just you know through a a digital assistant voice assistant that will be then able to, to basically bring them into this world and 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 you know Pick to the, this platform, which is this uh, digital assistant, a so voice assistant, and extrapolate—you know, what it will be in ten years. That's pretty interesting exercise because you can think—you know—why not this digital assistant will not be a humanoid robot? You know, this humanoid robot will just walk around, and you know, it could ultimately be the best hardware platform to deliver this digital experience and true ambient assisted living, for instance, to seniors. And you know assist them in their day-to-day task. So yeah, very specific platform, you know, that could become the key, the key one. And now I'll pick the younger generation. There are these guys that are already on on Roblox, for instance. So Roblox, I think they have fifty percent of the less than sixteen-year-old uh, people in the U.S. that have you know already been on on Roblox and playing on Roblox, and they do that today through smartphone. Okay, but now, if you think about this gaming experience and what this type of company wants to get to, you cannot forget you <laughs> to think about Ready Player One. Um, and this Ready Player One is not just one device, it's a virtual reality headset, the omnidirectional treadmill, uh, or maybe you need smart boots, but something which will enable you to have this kind of infinite work capabilities that you have in the metaverse. Uh, in Metaverse, there is no wall, unless you want to create them. Um, you need the Smart optic Suites to get the full-body touch experience and so on. And yeah, I mean, this probably will need a step change in technology to bring the price down of this, you know, the full platform so that this kind of generation will use it. But certainly, this younger generation will drive the demand for this kind of new gaming immersive experience. And right, yeah, interesting point here is that Will this experience be reliant on an all-in-one device? Or will this be reliant on a group of devices that will be rendering the experience and work together in an ambient way? And that's a pretty interesting question for us.
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Matt, your thoughts on early adopters? To unpack some of the things Redmi's sort of already talked about, you know, when we actually have a look at rendering, you know, obviously with 5G, we see renders directly done from the cloud. But then we've also got, when we actually have a look at codecs, you know, which are the the sort of pieces of software, basically, that are responsible for packaging and unpackaging the media streams. Yeah, we've seen developments basically from Samsung as well as Facebook. That means that we can actually reduce the amount of bandwidth that virtual reality headsets actually have to stream by up to 80%. So Facebook, for example, has something called foveated rendering, where it just renders what's in your eyeline but it does it so effectively that the entire image that you are surrounded with is ultra high definition. Um, you know, when we have a look at Samsung, Samsung are using artificial intelligence to create what we call adaptive AI codecs. Basically, so yeah, we won't necessarily need the high ne- high performance networks that we expect that we need basically to deliver some of these really immersive, what I call MXR experience, because we've got augmented reality, you know, whatever, uh, mixed reality, and then we've got virtual reality. But MXR experiences are where we combine sensory data in with the virtual reality streams. So, for example, you know, if if you're wearing a haptic suit and I throw a fireball at you in virtual reality, you feel that heat on your chest, you know, when I'm actually throwing it at you. So, When we have a look at things like MXR, that sort of gets a little bit more interesting. So Remy was sort of talking about haptics. Now, in addition to that, you know, Remy also talked about behavioral interfaces and that kind of stuff. We're seeing artificial intelligences today that you can talk to within these virtual reality kind of constructs and say, build me a room in the metaverse that looks like this. And just using your your voice and by being able to interpret natural language artificial intelligences will start building these immersive rooms and spaces you know because again a lot of the a lot of today's virtual reality experiences are based on things like the unreal engines you know the gaming engines you know which is sort of where we see that but um in terms of adopters i think the metaverse could actually be rather unique in terms of there are th- sort of three primary sets of adopters You know, we've got the younger generations. You know, my kids are already going to a virtual reality school, for example. You know, their learning is off the charts. Their retention is about 65 percent better in a virtual reality school than in the real school. Um, So we've got those we've got younger generations that are sort of early adopters. We have enterprises, basically, that are using virtual reality in the metaverse, basically, to either create products or to do training or to for collaboration you know if we have a look at accenture accenture created something called the 11th floor during the pandemic uh, which would let people who were working from home come together in a virtual space just to have those water cooler moments you know so that's kind of an interesting thing there as well but for the first time maybe ever we could actually see older generations kind of you know the baby boomers and above actually embracing virtual reality because when you have a look at the use of virtual reality in care homes, let alone assistive care and let alone chronic pain therapy and healthcare, care and so on and so forth. Yeah, again, basically we've been able to demonstrate that uh, elderly people who are using virtual reality actually feel more included, less lonely. They actually feel more mentally stimulated and so on and so forth. So that means that for the first time almost ever, we could actually have three sets of early adopters. You know, the younger generations, which are always there. Enterprise, which is kind of always there as well. But the third one, the elderly. And then there's the rest of us, of course, us younger whippersnappers. Speak for
0: yourself, man.
2: (laughs) I will. I I have lots of anti-aging drugs. I'm a futurist. That's it. So I know all the best labs. Okay,
0: I want to hear about those. Yeah offline. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been talking a bit about some of the technology building blocks that are going to need to be in place. I mean, you know, uh, in terms of the haptic suits and in terms of what the hardware looks like. Um, But I I also wanted to think a bit about what we're going to need in the near term um, to make the metaverse something other than people walking around with with bulky headsets. And maybe, Remy, you could kick this off.
1: Yeah, I, I think we need to, I mean, from a technology standpoint, well, we probably can first, and there are various ways actually to look at what are the technology pillars for the metaverse. But obviously, you will have hardware, software, and service layer. Now, I mean, the best way we found that to, to actually look at the technology building blocks here, so near-term and even longer-term, of course, is uh, first, there are the hardware and infrastructure block which include, you know, the access device, the cloud and edge infrastructure, the network infrastructure, and of course, you know, all the low-level software that goes with it, like operating system and so on. And the artificial intelligence that Matt was referring to, so which is going to be a foundational technology to bring intelligence in all of these devices. And that's really the infrastructure and hardware piece of the metaverse. Basically, the whole stack of the metaverse is reliant on this hardware to exist to make, you know, experience possible. So that's the first big block. The other big block is a creation platform for content and digital twin and 3D world creation. And that is, you know, this set of software and tools that enable to easily create application and experience oh, and even, you know, distribute them or discover uh, them if you search for them later on. But yes, I mean, uh, Matt was, was mentioning it, you know, if you want to create an experience, uh, everyone should be able to create an experience. So it's like, you know, if you are able to talk to your machine and say, okay, I want to create this this landscape, and there will be the White House and the forest and and, and, and horse running. So why would you have to design all of that? So, I mean, I can do that for you. And this creation platform will enable, you know, more and more developers to actually create next generation of content here so it's a very important piece and and for us it's very interesting because it creates stickiness i mean there's a lot of stickiness with the, with the hardware to be sure that you know we get the right hardware to enable this kind of creation platform to work properly um, and then the third block is the my uh, putting that into an enablement technology bucket <laughs> and we you know that's everything that touch transaction management so micro payment blockchain, if in case of payment in you know, a decentralized architecture or digital wallets, these kind of things. And of course, everything that touch security, privacy and trust, you know, like identity and access management. So all these kind of link technologies are very important. And interestingly, even if it's like three or four level above, you know, for instance, or ARM technology today, is there is very strong link to us because if you want to make it secure and trusted, you potentially need a root of trust down to the hardware. So that's and that's why I mean there one more time there's stickiness between the high level services or enablement technology and the hardware. And finally, the last block is the you know the most abused one is the M world, so the content place where you create content and experience that you uh, uh, for 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 your user. But when well, I mean, if you think near term, the good news is that this metaverse is more an evolution than a revolution. So. A lot of what is needed today to build the metaverse exists. So you can build already a certain version and a certain vision of the metaverse. Uh, Of course, if you start to look a little bit further away and you really want to deliver the full vision uh, there, and you start to do your technology decomposition, that's where you find out there are a number of key technology domains you need to look at. in this key technology domain, there are probably technologies that yet need to be invented. Mm-hmm. And if you think five, ten years from now, you know we won't be able to train every single system, you know, and the AI of each system. These systems will have to learn by themselves with you know minimal you know help from the developer or the user. So it's kind of self-learning AI. Uh, another one is you know brain-computer interface. You want to have a high-band which you know access to the brain, you know, to go faster on interfacing with this kind of world. Anyway, so there's existing technology. We can build the metaverse metaverse today. The longer term vision will need some more technology and potentially step change in some of the hardware that is needed to build it.
2: So, So I agree with everything Remy said, but also I'm going to be slightly boring because I'm going to throw this one in here as well. So from a near term perspective, what we actually need that we really don't have is we need the appropriate laws and legislation and regulation basically for the metaverses we're building today. Because, for example, you know, if I'm going to be building my metaverse and I choose a particular platform to build it on, you know, what happens, you know, and bear in mind that that can incorporate an entire city, you know, as some countries are trying to do now. What happens when the company hosting that platform goes bust? Uh, you know, so this is sort of where we also have a look, have to have a look at the kind of the boring things, you know, the regulation, the litigation, but, you know, who's responsible when things actually go wrong. We've seen a lot of virtual reality trademarks already being registered um, for company, for third parties that have nothing to do with the original trademarks. Um, in addition to that, you know, when we start having a look at building worlds, you know, we've also got to remember that as humans, we kind of think linearly. You know, I think that I go on to a virtual reality platform I build my virtual reality world, and that's it. But what happens when somebody else then goes onto that same platform, goes into my world, and then starts building their own virtual reality world in my world? You know, where we end up with this kind of this this Disney multiverse kind of um, madness. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. You know, so when we start thinking about the metaverse, we don't really just think about. You shouldn't think about it in terms of linear thinking. I build one virtual reality world on one platform. You can keep building infinite number of worlds in infinite number of worlds, which then when it takes us back to things like regulation and litigation, basically, is just crazy. When we start talking about compliance, it's very difficult. When we talk about things like auditing, I get a lot of organizations, particularly sort of, you know, CFOs, the Office of Finance, saying, you know, how do we actually audit what's going on in the metaverse? Because, you know, we're doing all these different things, but, you know, we have no idea how to keep track of them, how to monitor them, how to report on them. You know, uh, Adidas, for example, you know, has been selling NFTs and things, you know, how do you actually report on that? Um, But more to the basic, from a near-term perspective, any new thing, whether it's a technology or product or service or whatever, any new thing, has to have has to has to have benefits over the old thing you know so this is sort of all, always brings us back to what problems of the meta is the metaverse trying to solve today you know once we know what those are and then once it's able to demonstrate it can solve those problems more effectively Then we start using it in the near term. And these are things like training, for example, you know, where rather than sending you into the heart of a nuclear power, nuclear power station to get irradiated, to teach you about nuclear rods or whatever it happens to be and how to decommission them properly. I can just do all that in virtual reality. So it's sort of backing all that up. It really comes down to sort of what's the problem that you're trying to solve first? Can you solve it in a better way than anyone else has managed to solve it today using the metaverse? And then once you've solved it, you know, what about litigation, regulation, compliance, reporting, safety and security, as Remy mentioned, you know, and so on and so forth?
0: Yeah, you bring up so many good points, and, and it really starts me thinking about, you know, both the near term and the long term of metaverse-based a- applications. And you're talking about this whole scenario where if if somebody owns the metaverse and they, they go bust, or in the case of Ready Player One, if they die... <laughs> W- what happens? So um, I'm wondering, uh, both of you, and, and maybe Remy, you can kick us off. Do you think the longer term is going to be more Ready Player One or The Matrix?
1: <laughs> I love that one. Uh, <laughs> well, if we let's let be very very practical here. How can we end up in the in the Matrix scenario? What is kind of the step and and the fork in the road you need to find out uh, that, you know, when you say, okay, we are really going in the Matrix way. And, you know, to actually get into the Matrix scenario, I think, first, we need to actually already agree to live in the Matrix, in a virtual reality world, at least part of maybe most of our time. So it means that we are already living in some kind of Ready Player One kind of world, and we already agree to do that. It's part of... Most of, most of your life, uh, or, or a lot of your life is there, but that's not enough. In fact, if you want to be in the matrix case, you also need to have trained autonomous system around you to take care about everything you will do normally if you were not in the virtual world. So all your day-to-day things to do, like, you know, just simple field to eat. So it means that we have created, we will have created a machine that feed you. And, you know, and 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 you will be living in the virtual world, but still be fed by this machine. So this need to exist, uh, and all the similar kind of things that will take care of your day-to-day tasks. So this need to exist, which means at some point we have created them. Now, once we will have created them and they will exist, with all this autonomous system, then maybe that's where an AI that you know control this autonomous system will suddenly you know take control over, you know, this world, this autonomous system and start to blur the line between, you know, what's real and what is not real so that you don't understand really in which world finally you are. So it's more like total recall in that case. So and once you get at that stage, yeah. So if you have autonomous intelligence system around you and end up having some kind of robot which autonomously build other robots, that's a fork in the road. That you don't want to go after, because then after that fork, it means we can certainly end up in the matrix scenario. At least the good news is that it's something we can monitor in some way and maybe control, hopefully.
2: So I'm so I'm going to go. Sli- I'm actually going to go practical as well, but I'm actually going to show you how the matrix already exists. So yeah. In parts, anyway. So I think really, you know, when we have have a look at the metaverse, basically in the shorter term, really it's that kind of ready player one space. You know, we go in, basically we do stuff, we're wearing haptic suits, basically, you know, we're in full joyride mode, you know, and we're off basically in different virtual worlds, doing whatever it we it, doing whatever it happens to be, whether we're solving puzzles like in Ready Player One, you know, taking out giant monsters in Ready Player One and so on and so forth. So that just kind of looks like a crazy world. And actually, Ready Player One probably looks like less of a crazy world than the world that we're living in today. So they're just putting that on the table. Now, when we actually have a look at the Matrix, now, we already have all the different technological components that we actually need to live in the Matrix. So, unpacking this, full futurist mode. Um, Over in China, they created something called a triboelectric nanogenerator. Now, Tengs, as they are known, Um, can actually go into the human bloodstream and they generate electricity, a little bit like a regular turbine does, from the flow of blood in your body. Now, we can wirelessly transmit that energy directly to any kind of machine. So while the Matrix, everyone was actually plugged in, basically like a human battery into the big giant towers, we actually don't need to be plugged into the giant towers, because shouldn't the aliens actually just have wireless electricity transmission anyway? they're not that advanced, you know, we've got that. So anyway, we've already proved basically scientifically, science fiction becomes science fact, that we can actually turn the human body into a battery. Now, when we have a look at the matrix, on the one hand, we could actually use a creative artificial intelligence to automatically create the world for us, but then push that into our brains. Now, we've actually seen an example, you know, most people, when we talk about brain machine interfaces, Most people are kind of used to the idea of having a brain machine interface like a skull cap that reads your brain signals and converts it into text or images. I've got some great videos of that. So we're all kind of used to this concept of, we can use technology to read what you're thinking. Three years ago, we managed to prove that you can actually use artificial intelligence and brain machine interfaces to push information into people's heads so when we talk about the matrix we talk about trinity you know when trinity goes up to the huey and she goes i need to learn how to fly a huey now like that and all of a sudden the knowledge is uploaded to her brain and she gets in and then flies her and neo out you know over the skyscrapers and the skyline we've already done that and the reason that we've done that is because the brain is plastic now for anyone that thinks that knowledge uploading is impossible, I'm going to tell you that two plus two equals four. I've just uploaded knowledge to your brain, but I've just done it in a biological way. What scientists have figured out in the labs is how to upload or transmit knowledge to your brain using technology, not using language or body language or, you know, text or video, whatever it happens to be that we use today. So when we actually have a look at that matrix, we are way beyond that already. And then we also have holograms as well. So Remy basically sort of went off off reservation. He bought in re- Total Recall. I can download your memories. So we've got a neuroprosthetic chip that is used in Alzheimer's. And what it does is it's able to read your biological brain signals and convert them into ones and zeros, right? Now for Alzheimer's patients, this improves their memory retention by 30%. but if i can convert your brain signals into ones and zeros and store it on a computer chip in your head as a memory isn't that memory downloading and then couldn't i take those ones and zeros and push them into the cloud done it have a look at that one it's a healthcare tech um, so yeah you know when we have a look at the, when we have a look at the matrix yeah, I've got holograms from Blade Runner 2049. We've got BYU that have recreated the Star, the Star Wars layer hologram using femto lasers. No augmented reality, no glasses, nothing like that. So I will take your science fiction day in, day out, and I will trump you with science <laughs> fact day in, day out.
0: Well, thank you both. Wow, that has been very thought provoking. But uh, now I wanna bring it all back to our current podcast reality. Lacking the power to bend time and space, we're sadly out of time. Uh, Thanks so much to you both. (laughs) But I am feeling a little bit more in tune with the future as a result of the insights we've heard today. Speaking of the more immediate future, we look forward to bringing you further glimpses of it soon in the next episode of Arm Viewpoints. Thanks for listening today.